0: We turn this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 12. Last week we saw that Jesus enters Jerusalem as a humble yet triumphant king. The king whose purpose is to give his life for his people. If you're looking for this passage, there's a Bible there in front of you, and you can find this on page 1065. We're in John chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 20. John 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thunders. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Let me pray that God would take the reading of his word and apply it through the preaching of this gospel. Father in heaven, we give you praise to glorify your name, to acknowledge your greatness, your majesty, and your power. Father, we see your glory in the ministry of Jesus. When he is lifted up, he is exalted for he is the savior who bears our sins. Lord, for those that that come in to this worship service today with with questions, with doubts, who think, well, that, that can't be right. That can't be true. Lord, confront them by the power of your spirit to see the truth of this gospel message. Lord, for those of us who are followers of Christ, let us live as sons of light, proclaiming this good news to others following after you as your servants. Lord, minister to us in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We come praying in his name. Amen. The church that Laura and I grew up in had some really good hiding places when we would play Search the Church. I mean, there were back stairwells, there were storage rooms, but my favorite spot of all was was right behind the stained glass. Because unlike this stained glass, which brings natural light in from the outside, this was stained glass that had stairwells and closets behind it. So there was, there was a little gap with, with fluorescent lighting to, to shine on the light. And, well, with the fluorescent lighting off, it was a really good hiding spot. But one of the items that sticks out in my memory most from the church I grew up in was right out in the open. Although, not something that everyone in the congregation would normally see it was a little note engraved into the pulpit at the front of the church a quote from John 12 sir we would see Jesus a reminder to our pastor that the goal of preaching was not to exalt himself a perpetual danger for the preacher in front of you but to show the church and the community, Jesus. And in the context of John 12, not just any presentation of Jesus, not some facts merely about his birth or or the years in which he lived or the, the emperor who reigned while he was here on earth, but Jesus as the glorified Savior, the one who willingly sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for our sins. This little plaque on the pulpit, Sir, we would see Jesus, visible to me as a high school student who stood up there at an evening service to give a report about our missions trip, there for me to see when when as a a graduating senior, several of us who felt the call to perhaps vocational preaching ministry to give a brief lesson on a Sunday night, sir, we would see Jesus. Jesus. That's the request here, in John 12, of the Greeks who come to Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that they were from Greece. That's just the way the Jews of the time would refer to anyone whose native language, whose first language is Greek. They could have lived anywhere in the empire, and, and maybe the geography when we're reminded, wait, where's Philip from? Oh, Bethsaida? What's Bethsaida near? The Decapolis, those 10 cities of of. Of Greek origin that are just to the northeast of Galilee. And so they come, these non-Jews, but they're here for a feast, so they are interested, inquiring, religiously perhaps observant, but but they haven't become Jews, they're Greeks. One commentator says that that they're meant in John's Gospel to represent the whole world. Everyone else who has not yet met Jesus is now going to stand right in front of him. The world is here. A a clear contrast to the way in which the Jewish religious leaders have responded to Jesus. Remember, the plot is on. They're attempting to kill Jesus. And so we have a contrast with these Greeks who come and say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Now, they pick out Philip, and Philip goes to tell Andrew, because, well, of the disciples, those are the disciples whose names are Greek. Now well, these are good Hebrew boys, but they grew up in a region where Greek names would be common. I mean, Philip, I mean, that's one of the most Greek names of all. Who's the most famous Philip? Well, I'll remind you, it's Philip II of Macedon. And you think, oh, of course, Philip II of Macedon. You might not remember his name, but you know his son's name, Alexander the Great, the one who conquered the world. This Philip is so famous that, that a city is named after him, Philippi a city which the Apostle Paul will visit in honor of Alexander the Great's father. And so, so, wait, there's a disciple named Philip? I mean, he's probably the one most likely to be sympathetic to us. Let's see if he can get us to Jesus. I mean, who is it in your life that needs to hear about Jesus from you? What about your reputation would have people come and say, well, maybe he can tell me. Maybe she can show me something of this truth. And this is a turning point in Jesus's ministry. A reminder that Jesus has sheep of other pens. Not merely the flock of Israel, but the the flocks of the nations. It's a reminder that that God the Father has children of the nations. That's what we heard in previous chapters. And so Jesus responds to the request, responds not not really to the request. We don't don't actually even know if they get face to face with Jesus. I mean, it seems that they're at least In the crowds here jesus really responds to the situation that their presence raises it's not that that he goes to them and says okay what what do you want how can i help you no the fact that the greeks are here becomes an occasion for jesus now to announce to his disciples as well as the greeks his very purpose why is he here look look again at verse 23 the hour has come Wait, wait, this is the, the hour that, that Jesus has, at every other point in the Gospel said, nope, not yet, it's, it's still coming, it's still coming, the hour is not yet here. And now Jesus says, it's right now. The hour has come. That, that biblical, apocalyptic, end of the world kind of language to describe that the very purpose of Jesus the Savior is right here in front of us. This is when the Son of Man, the way Jesus speaks of himself, using Old Testament language. This is the moment that the Son of Man will be glorified. And then Jesus gives us a couple of simple images to understand this truth. To those in an agrarian culture, they, they understand quickly, verse 24, a kernel of wheat needs to be sown in the ground. Otherwise, it's just one seed. But, but if it's sown, then it grows. And then, then the seeds can be scattered from that plant. What is sown by Jesus is reaped by us in life. Jesus' death offers us life. He is the bread of heaven that is broken for us, for his people. Jesus then explains the the response that's expected. He says, I'm here to be glorified. I'm here to die. And then he says, this is how you should respond. Look at verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And now, it, it's probably helpful for us to, to say that when Jesus says hates his life, he doesn't mean it in an absolute sense. Like, he's not, he's not pushing us to end our lives. The contrast is between loving your life and then what would be the opposite, if you're, if you're speaking in Hebrew idiom, it would be to hate your life, to be willing to willing to give up your life for another. Jesus says if you love your life, well, then you're going to lose it. If, right now, what you're chasing after in this world is, going to, is meant to give you ultimate significance, you will fail. And I don't care how successful or how good you are at getting what you want. If it's money, it won't be enough. And actually, you don't take it with you. If it's stuff in this life, well, that stuff's going to wear out and break if it's power or position, it doesn't matter if you get to the pinnacle, if you're, if you're the CEO, it won't be enough. If you love this life, then ultimately you will lose everything. Because as a commentator explains, to love one's life is a fundamental denial of God's sovereignty. It's saying, God, I, I, I understand theologically that you're the one who's in control of what's happening, but what you're offering me, eternal life, that's, that's not going to work for me. I need payback now. I need it right here. I'm going to chase after what I want. And so to grab onto the good things even of this life, as if they will give you ultimate joy, is to deny God. But yet the contrast, the one who is willing to give up his life, instead of holding to it, the, the one who says, what, what I am here is insignificant compared to To what god is offering me well that one gains eternal life and verse 26 says that the the one who comes after jesus becomes his servant that well if jesus is master then he starts to get control over every area of your life he gets control over your wallet he gets control over your relationships because he's your master you're following him you're serving him so where he goes well, the servants are required to go as well. And then Jesus offers great promises in these verses. In verse 25, that, that you gain eternal life. Verse 26, that you're, you're given the honor from God for serving. But of course, the servant who serves only to be honored is the servant who doesn't get honored. Right? The one who loves his life is the one who will lose it. If you're not really serving Jesus, you're just serving yourself, well, then you got all the honor you're going to get. But not only does Jesus show us the reaction that we should have to set aside the things of this life to follow after Christ, he, in, in unexpected honesty, reveals his own reaction to this message. I mean, Jesus, as, as we sang in that song, his face was set toward Jerusalem. Like, that was his purpose. And now he's arrived, but but look at what he says in verse 27. Now my heart is troubled. The other gospel writers describe the agony of Jesus on the night of his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you could take this pain from me, I would give it to you. And yet, no, this is why I came. So he says it out loud so that his disciples can hear it so that the crowd can understand, this is the very reason that Jesus came. It wasn't to escape this hour. He was always moving down. His his whole life has been a countdown to this moment. He's watched the clock tick down. At other points, he said, nope, now's not the time. He slips away. You want to come and arrest me? Nope, not now. But in this moment, he says, the hour has come. And yet, what what should Jesus say? Father, save me from this hour? No, no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Jesus, when the nations gather in front of him, when the Greeks come, asking to see Jesus says, well, if they're gonna see me, they need to understand who I am. I came to this hour to give my life. I came to die, to offer eternal life. I came to glorify God in heaven. Jesus shows us his purpose he explains to us what our reaction should be, and then he shows us his determination. And then this, this beautiful sermon then is confirmed with a fantastic illustration. Look at, verse, look at how verse 28 continues. After Jesus says, Father, glorify your name, then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I mean, this is the, the lights and smoke and pyrotechnics moment where everyone's attention is captured. Jesus is speaking to them, and suddenly God himself speaks from heaven and says, I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again by glorifying Jesus, my son. Now, there are three times in the ministry of Jesus where we hear a voice from heaven, although only one in the Gospel of John. We, we have a voice from heaven at the baptism of Jesus at the start of his earthly ministry. This is my son whom I love. We have a, a voice that speaks from heaven at the transfiguration when Jesus is on the mountain and, and, and Moses and Elijah appear and we, we get the, the curtains pulled back and we see the glory of Jesus. And now here, on the, in the final week of Jesus' life, when he says it explicitly, I'm the kernel of wheat that must die so that you can have life. A voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father himself confirms the ministry of Jesus. And yet the crowd says, that was weird, I don't even see like clouds in the sky and yet it's thundering? And then others say, no, no, I I think I understood something in that thunder. Maybe it was an angel speaking to us from heaven. Now I had a a good friend who would say to me, you know, Kevin, I I just can't believe what's in the Bible because I didn't see it, I didn't hear it. If I could have been there to see the miracle, then I would have believed it. And yet, I think that's, that's a little bit naive of response because everyone who heard this doesn't believe it. Actually, we, we need an explanation because this is one of those, wait, what just happened kind of moments in life? And that happens to us in ordinary circumstances. You're driving at dusk and, and out of the corner of your eye, you see an animal move and you say, wait, did you just see that? What was that? Was that a fox? Was that a deer? Was that the neighbor's dog on the loose? I mean, you want somebody else to confirm what you just saw. And so so if we do that in ordinary circumstances, how about an extraordinary circumstance? It only happens three times in the ministry of Jesus. And and the disciples, only three of them heard all three. But for the crowd, they probably only heard one. How many times in your life have you heard God speak audibly from heaven? It doesn't happen all the time. So of course, you would turn to the person next to you and say, wait, what just happened? And like ancient people who would come up with other explanations, I don't know, maybe it's some, some thunder rumbling in the distance. I mean, maybe, maybe over there, over the, the hills east of Jordan, maybe there's, there's a storm brewing. Or like you and I, when, we, when we, you see one of those YouTube videos of a dog that can talk and it tells you, I love you, and you think, I don't think dogs can actually say I love you. I think my brain is just filling in the words. And so maybe that's what happened. There was just thunder and my, my brain filled in some words. I'm... I'm See, we would come up with ordinary, natural explanations just like the crowd did. Because God speaking from heaven is unexpected. But see, here's the good news. You and I are actually in a better position to understand what happened than the people who heard it for themselves. Because we have the definitive explanation. Jesus explains it to us And then God causes John to write it down so that you and I could read it this morning. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. He doesn't need the reassurance from his Father in heaven. He already has it. Jesus goes regularly, repeatedly to God in prayer. He knows the very purpose for which he came. And so the voice speaking from heaven is so that the crowds that listen will understand Jesus was the one sent by God. Jesus was the one sent to die. Jesus, in dying, will be glorified. See, because even if the disciples didn't yet understand it, they would come to understand after the resurrection of Jesus. They would say, oh, that's why God spoke to us from heaven. Remember? After Jesus came into Jerusalem as the king on a donkey, he explained that he came to die That's why God announced it to us from heaven to affirm this for us. See, Jesus tells the crowd that that his death will bring judgment, that that now is the moment in which the sins of every person will be laid bare before God. Now is the time for judgment on this world. That's verse 31. And, And yet in the judgment of Jesus, the judgment that Jesus brings at this hour the hour in which he dies, the judgment that he brings is also a victory. Because look, look at what verse 31 promises. Yes, it's a warning of judgment right now, but it continues. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan, who has, who has been scheming all along, he's already at work in Judas. Judas, who will betray Jesus in, in just a couple of days. Satan, who thinks he's going to gain victory because he's, he's got the people conspiring to lead Jesus to the cross. He has the high priest telling the Sanhedrin, we have to kill him. Satan, the prince of this world, who thinks he will win, will be defeated at the cross of Christ because it is there in the death of Jesus that he conquers not only your sin, but the power of the devil himself. It's there that we see the victory of God. See, it's, it's not merely that the cross is the stepping stone to get to the glory of Jesus. That like, well, after he suffers, after the shame, then there will be glory. Yes, that's absolutely true. After Jesus is suffering, there is the glory of the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, his eternal reign beginning. But actually in the cross itself is the glory of God. Because it's Jesus, the Son of God, who willingly there on the cross pays the price for your sin. Receiving glory for bringing justification to you. You are made right with God. It's there in the cross of Christ that the victory of Jesus over the devil is guaranteed and secured. See, the cross gives Jesus the victory. John, making sure we don't miss it, when Jesus says in verse 32, But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. John knows that that phrase, lifted up, I mean, we could interpret that lots of ways. John says, oh, Jesus said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up onto a cross, exposed to all the shame that the world could dump on him. And yet in being lifted up, he is glorified. I mean, there's a purposeful ambiguity in the way Jesus speaks. Yes, he's lifted up to the cross, but he's also lifted up to be exalted. He is the one who will be lifted up so that all men might see. Not merely because he's on a hill in Jerusalem. I mean, this is a common place of execution to which Jesus will be led. It's not unusual. He doesn't even die by himself. There are two other men crucified with him, remember. It's not that, that there's something unique about being crucified. It's that he is lifted up to bear your sins and mine. He's lifted up on a hill in Jerusalem so that the world might see, so that the Greeks who say, "I want to see Jesus can see him." Jesus says, "I will be lifted up so that you can see the glory of God." And yet the crowd thinks, "No, no, 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 no. This, this doesn't work for us. This isn't how the Messiah is supposed to work. You've used the phrase Son of Man, Jesus, and I think you've misunderstood it. I mean, the Son of Man, it's, it's a prophecy in Daniel of the one who will be exalted. That's what we should be talking about. Not one who will die. Because they say in verse 34, the law, God's Old Testament, tells us that the Christ's reign, the Messiah, will be king forever. Which means, Jesus, you can't die If you die, then you are not the Messiah. And and however much this would have been wrapped up for them in the the ideas of, of political victory or of military victory over Rome, for sure they have the sense that the king must be triumphant. The Messiah can't come to die. Yes, it's as if they're saying... We like a king who rides in victory into Jerusalem. One to whom we can say, Blessed be the king of Israel. I mean, we'll take that kind of king, but not a king who says that he will be lifted up to die. We don't want a king who will die on a cross. And perhaps the same attitude is in our own hearts. We like a king who brings healing from disease more than a king who promises to be with us in our pain. We like a king who offers victory for our favored politicians more than a king whose sovereignty is secure even with Caesar on the throne. We like a king who offers us glory more than a king who puts us in the valley of the shadow of death. See, they reject, many in the crowd say, this this can't be. This can't be right, Jesus. I think your clock is set wrong. The hour is not here. You're you're pointing to the wrong thing, Jesus, not not the cross. Yes, we're willing for you to be lifted up in glory, but not lifted up in death. And, And yet, once again, Jesus gives them another opportunity to respond. He'd already explained what the response should be back in verses 25 and 26. Give up your life to gain eternal life. Stop chasing after the things of this world and, and follow me as my servant. And he gives them another opportunity when they are confused by his teaching, confused by the voice from heaven. Look, look again at verse 35. You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Again, a, a simple image that you and I can understand, even though we live in a world filled with light everywhere. I mean, you just walk in. I mean, I, I found a light switch in the room. I didn't know what it did. It turns off half the lights in this room, all right? So, so deacons, remember, if somebody turns off that light switch, that could be why half the lights are off in the room and we can't fix it in the back. But we just, we just walk into a room. It could be pitch dark, and you just slide your hand along the wall, right? Or maybe your house is so smart that it just senses you walking into the room, Or, I mean, this is best of all. You just clap, and it turns on kids. Ask your parents what that's a reference to. See, we live in a world that's filled with light, such that when we walk outside, even in the middle of the night, it's usually pretty well lit by street lights, by a light over our garage, by the the lights of the cities that surround us. And yet we still understand the image. That to be trapped in darkness means you would be completely lost last week sam lar and i went to visit my my younger brother and so we stopped at a at the only cavern in maryland that you can tour and of course as part of a cave tour one of the things they do at the very end make everybody turn off your phones put it in your pocket all right because we all carry lights with us all the time now so you put your phones away and then they churn out all the lights And deep underground, I mean, you can't see, I mean, you can't see your hand an inch in front of your face. A darkness that we rarely experience. And yet Jesus is saying that's the darkness that will overtake you, that will crush you spiritually. You will be so lost that you won't be able to take a step. You won't know where you're going. You won't know your left from your right. You won't know up from down. You will be lost. But I am the light. Remember, Jesus has said that to us repeatedly in this Gospel. I am the light of the world turn to me while the light is still here. He says it directly, put your trust, verse 36, put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. The response is clear, it's explicit. Whether to the disciples in front of him, the angry crowds gathering around him, or the the nations who have come to ask to see Jesus, put your trust in him, As the Savior who came to give his life, as the one who came for this very purpose, so that he could glorify his Father in heaven through his glory on the cross and the glory of his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Put your trust in him. Stop trusting yourself and find the hope of eternal life. And yet, perhaps we don't even realize we're in darkness. I mean, you might feel today like, I I think I'm doing fine. Do I really need Jesus or maybe your response is the opposite of that you think oh oh I I have no doubt that I'm lost I have no doubt about the mess I've made but I I feel like I can't see an inch in front of me I feel hopeless I feel so overwhelmed that that perhaps you feel like you can't see any glimpse of the light Jesus says to you put your trust in the light so that you might become sons of light jesus is the savior the rescuer he came to die so that we might live army staff sergeant audrey ramos was a flight medic called the dangerous war zones to rescue soldiers and marines who had been injured helicopter medevac teams are among the most dangerous jobs in the military. Dangerous because, of course, they fly into active combat zones to rescue men and women from the, the worst of the fighting. And dangerous because they see so much carnage that one report describes that they are among the most prone to post-traumatic stress. If your job every day is filled with soldiers and Marines who have been blown apart, then you feel the pain of this world. Staff Sergeant Ramos describes the challenge for her medevac team. She says, sometimes we feel guilty because we can't save everyone. We get there too late or the wound is too great. But she says they have to be willing to fly out on the next mission to give everything to give the next soldier a chance to survive. She continues, it's humbling to be part of something bigger than me. And And then listen to the way that she describes her work. I think they see us as saviors. In the pain and the chaos of battle, the medics become saviors. Do you feel trapped in pain and sorrow? Do you long for a Savior in the darkness of your sin? Do you feel like there is no hope? If someone doesn't come now, I won't make it. Jesus is here. He came not merely to bind your spiritual wounds, although he will do that, He came not merely to put himself in the line of fire, he came to die. Like a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground, he came to give his life for you. To be lifted up on the cross so that we can be lifted up with him in glory. Jesus is here. And he says to you now, put your trust in the light. Put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, for those that that feel like they're just inching along through life, stumbling in pain and darkness at every little step of the way, Lord, let them, in hearing your word, see the light of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, for those of us who, who, who want to follow you as your servants, Lord, make us submissive to your ministry and your purposes. Let us not seek glory for ourselves, not not seeking our own lives, but willing to seek your glory, willing to serve you. Lord, let us go to people in our lives that we might point them to Jesus and his ministry. Lord, give us hope and comfort in the work of Jesus Christ, who is glorified on the cross and glorified in his resurrection. Lord, receive glory through the work of Jesus our Savior in drawing sinners to himself, in rescuing us from darkness. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.